Dogs of Warcry is a podcast from the Mortal Realms focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. In episode 3, we will discuss Warcry Catacombs, including the lore, rules, and thoughts on the future of the game. We've been fortunate enough to get a box set from Games Workshop, review it, and provide all the information that we can to you today. My name is Josh, and answering the call with me this week is Paven. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. We're big time now. We're big, we're big time. We're lucky time. Yeah, we're true. legit. We're legit for real. Finally. <laughs> Good stuff. I don't know. How's everything going, man? Things have been going well. I've been excited tearing through this uh, Warcry Catacombs book and looking at the models and terrain. It's been it's going to be an exciting time. I can't wait to start our campaigns. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear uh, where you've gotten, how far you've dug in, what you've unclipped, what you've put together. But I'll save those questions for the appropriate sections. And speaking of appropriate sections, are you ready to jump into the Forge of Mithraxis? I think it's quite appropriate, considering the region we're going to be exploring today. Yeah, let's do it. Let's jump into the Forge. Josh, what have you been working on? Um, over the last couple weeks... I've been uh, got some base coats on my raised sections of the Halls of Pandemonium in anticipation of our Circle of Paint game at some point with uh, with Eric, and uh, so that that's coming along. I also added some uh, you know some shadowy elements to my Tenebral Shard miniature from Warhammer Quest Silver Tower because I thought I would use that as a test model to work out a paint scheme for my canine shadow stalkers fortunately and surprisingly we ended up getting the box set this past week and so i also started putting together my canine shadow stalkers um, the detail on the models is amazing although there are very small fiddly bits that are you know very difficult to clip out without breaking so definitely be careful of that when you're working through your models and also the the imagery in the the new catacombs book Shows lots of really interesting three-dimensional board setups, you know, with lava lighting and things like that. So it also motivated me to start painting kind of a lava scheme on four of my modular Warcry boards. So I decided the easiest thing to do would probably be kind of like my swamp board. I'm just going to paint the four boards in a variety of lava tones and then create some raised styrofoam floors that model the uh, the infernal uh, forge floor and just put that on the board and use that as our Warcry boards. But I'll leave it uh, detached. That way we can move it around and change out orientations, make some unique lava dungeon boards in the future. Yeah. So that, what have you been doing, working on? Sure. I just want to say, like, I, you know, and I think we'll talk more about this later, but uh, having particular dungeon catacomb rules for Warcry has a there's a great hobby opportunity there for creating a new kind of uh, new set of different types of boards mm-hmm. to play that version of the game and a lot of uh, kind of hobby space that have just been added to our uh, what is it I don't know to our horizons of of, of imagination. Oh, I so, like that. That's a great very phrase. exciting. Yeah. yeah. All right, but uh, what was I? What am I working on? Okay, so I, I've been I've been wor- uh, making slow and steady progress. The first thing I did was paint up all of the reinforcements I needed for my Seraphon Warband. I think they're called Mokhtar's Predators right now, but I you know I change it up every every episode what I actually name the Warband. 
I painted three Saurus. Uh, only one I needed for the warband, but I just painted a standard bear and a drummer, so I had the five to actually have a unit of guards, so that was kind of nice. I painted two more skinks to replace my losses, and I painted a skink priest as well, who currently doesn't have rules for Warcry, but maybe getting them in the future with uh, the new Grand Alliance books. So it was nice right. to paint up that new uh, that skink priest. It was I have the really old metal skink priest, and it was fun to resurrect that model and paint it up to my new standards. Yeah, um, that's a nice model. Yeah, put it in the Discord, too. Shout out to the Discord. I also have been working slowly on my Ogroid uh, Myrmidon. I have a few layers. I think I have the skin mostly done. Maybe it needs one more kind of layer on the gray. I went with a two-tone skin tone. I, I was going to do it like all kind of Caucasian flesh. But that it was it's such a skin heavy model that having just one tone over the whole course of the whole thing was very dominant, especially kind of a, a non like kind of just a pale pink flesh is not very interesting. And so right. I, I switched to like kind of gray in the back and then with like the, the front being that skin tone looks way better. So I'm, I'm working through that. That is something I'm kind of was working on with the Seraphon, but it's still on the way and it's going to be part of my sign of the flame war band. And then. Big surprise, we got this new box in the mail, or more accurately, Eric got the new box in the mail. And so we quickly, you know, divided that up, and I took the Scions, and I, you know, very quickly put those together. So I have those all together. They're all primed. Nice. I started to work on the test scheme of one of the guys. Hold on. Which one? It's one of the mid, mid guys. One of the Fireborn. Because it was like I wanted to like he has all the different textures on them. He's got the scale. He's got the cloaks. He's got the leather leather. And right right now he's currently sitting at like a, I've ended up on a very cold scheme. And I kind of like a cold a cold like scheme that is has the dark bluish elements. And to have that I'm hoping is really nice. Well juxtaposed to the fire. Maybe I, I lean into that all the way and go like maybe they're cut from a cold re- region in Akshi or somewhere else, but they worship the fire as kind of this, uh, maybe at one point a life-giving god, but now through the corruptions of chaos is now a completely destructive force and has cre- uh, ruined their society. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. We just got the miniatures. I got to think about it more. Yeah. I'm certainly very stressed out um, about <laughs> my, what, my, what my color scheme will be. How I'm oh, going to yeah. base them? Am I repainting the Varen Guard to match? Is it going to be close enough? Um, all those things are going through my head. But I do, I do have almost a test, a full test model done. Wow! Uh, with this, with the science. Very nice. No, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I I'm got... not really riding the hype train now. <laughs> that's awesome. Other that's than awesome. that, that's it. Okay, that, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I agree. So with that. We will, uh, you know, with the future endeavors we have coming towards us, we'll step on the path to glory and see if, uh, you know, what might have gotten uh, done, you know, in the in the last couple of weeks. Um, I unfortunately have not gotten any games in. Paven, where have you been able to play any Warcry games? I did, I did, and we certainly we're gonna have to schedule some dungeon games to, mm-hmm. you know, test out all the new rules and the new terrain. I'm super excited about that. Yeah. Um, but over the last since we recorded last, I got in one game, one full game. I took my my Seraphon war warband, Mokhtar's Predators, and had them go up against my friend Sylvaneth. He'd come up and we played a garage game of you know social distancing, mask wearing, or cry, and it was a super good game. It was a super good game. I'm always he's a very new player, so I'm always nervous about smashing him. But yeah, he was able to pull this one out. It was the we played the the victory condition was 
there's three treasures on the board and then on like turn three each of you remove one treasure or like one 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 person removes it on turn two one removes a treasure on turn three and so you're fighting over the last one right yeah i forget exactly but yeah yeah we, we were playing that one and he was able to stick one of his current off hunters on one of the treasures and those things are real beefy (laughs) <laughs> I think like the the non leader ones have thirty to thirty five wounds, Ooh. and so unless you get those hot dice, you are just not chunking through them. And that's how kind of the game ended. I did pull off a couple cool moves. One being, uh, I think we mentioned in our last episode that the skinks all have a double, which gives you a free disengage. Yep. And so I was able to use that to slingshot my skink across the board to a treasure, like more than double his movement. So I used like their full movement into combat, used the double free disengage further through the guy, and then my other full movement to uh, to pick up a to pick up a treasure. So I felt pretty sophisticated. Nice. It uh, didn't matter that skink eventually like everybody like you know like <laughs> six uh, six dryads like a kind of appeared from reinforcements around him. So that skink wasn't long for this world, but it was it was cool. Yeah. Other than that. I don't, I didn't have any more guys die, but I definitely had more injuries. <laughs> I think my, uh, poor Saris warrior, who, whose name escapes me, like, took another permanent injury. Ooh. And then, like, a couple more skinks took, um, the injury that's minus one toughness. I think that's a cracked rib. So I have wow. a number of skinks running around that are toughness one. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, the, the eight points is brutal for the followers of order. Uh, <laughs> But so, yeah, I'm feeling very, uh, very optimistic about my signs of the flame once they can get uh, all painted up and ready to go. Awesome. Nice. All right. What kind of visions of madness do we have? We had a lot of interesting stuff revealed since our last recording. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff to talk about in our visions of madness branded news segment. Uh, Let's not talk about catacombs because that's what the whole show is going to be about. (laughs) Let's start on the something we didn't know that was coming, but a board pack. Usually, it used to be that Underworlds was the only people that got board packs, but now we're we're part of the big dogs getting board packs. Can you, uh, Josh? Can you tell us a little about they, those? Got came on pre-order this weekend as well, didn't they? Yes, they did, and I did go ahead and order that as well. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty excited about this actually, because now with um with the dungeon play, they gave us the Infernal Forge Floor um, dungeon layout, but also a on the back side of that a layout for uh, above ground games. So with the Catacombs board pack, it includes four new dungeon areas that you can play on, and it includes four locations. Uh, they are in the Varanax's Maw, the, the Lair of the Spheranx, the Temple of Nagendra, Cinder Warrens, and the Halls of Valorum. So it'll be really interesting to see what these layouts are kind of like in comparison to the Infernal Forge Floor. How many entrances and, you know, what terrain elements are there, any pits or not. So I'm pretty excited to get those, especially the one with the, the layer of the spherings, because um, that relates to one of the quests. There's, there's a spherings somewhere, but I have a spherings, so it'll be definitely be fun to play in that particular uh, board, I think. Yeah, they all look really cool. I'm looking at them now. It, I, you know, I'm not sophisticated enough with the dungeon rules to know exactly how they will like the different setups will play differently mm-hmm. although right. i can tell you like the ones that have more pits i imagine are going to be much more dangerous because oh boy <laughs> like yeah, you yeah. don't want to be by a pit <laughs> the pit rules are, are deadly yeah definitely yes yeah. what um, th- what else is coming out well, I think uh, one of the things I was going to mention about the board packs is, you know, now that the dungeon rules are kind of in play and you have this such a two-dimensional board to play on, I've seen a lot of people express uh, excitement, you know, that it opens up a lot of possibilities for unique board dungeon scenarios where you can use 
D and D tiles. You can use Dungeon Four, you know, three D model systems and, and lots of other uh, terrain elements that you can use to tell kind of a narrative. Even even the old, you know, the Warhammer Quest Silver Tower or Shadows Over Hammerhall tiles can be used for dungeons now. Lots of crazy possibilities. So the, the board pack just kind of hints that. But uh, there's a lot of different options out there now, which I think would be really interesting to see. Uh, moving on then to the Great Alliance books. And again, this is something that we didn't really know about either. I think uh, there were a lot of mixed impressions across the web, as you might expect. But essentially, every Grand Alliance gets a, they call it a battle tome. And it includes all of the model profiles for the current warbands. But in the preview... It also seemed to indicate that it's including profiles for models that are not currently in Warcry, which I think is going to be pretty exciting because kind of goes back to my my dream in the in the first season where now we have profiles for all of the different models and factions. You can play this game anywhere, above ground, below ground, with any forces to tell whatever narrative you want. And I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it seems like they're really kind of filling the gaps for a lot of the war bands that weren't part of the initial release, especially the non-chaos ones, with, I imagine, their associated uh, hero models that should be in Warcry, with their monsters that will be associated. It seems like everybody is kind of being brought up to the same level of toy availability, all of the Grand Alliances. And so, and it, it sounds like we're also getting, like, faded quests specific to Grand Alliances and more... Just kind of more stuff to play with. And I think this helps with, I don't know how it helps with, I got to think, like, how what is like onboarding a new person into the game like? Is it easier or harder now? I think there were a couple weird situations where like you need the core book and then you need to get Toma Champions 2019 and then you need to get a pack of cards. I think the amount of purchases actually has gone down with the releases of these books, especially with existing Age of Sigmar players who like have their faction and they want to play with everything that makes sense in Warcry, they can just pick up the associated book. Yep. So I, I think that makes sense. And I'm excited to see, like, get into these and dig into them. I think there is going to be a lot of good content there, and it'll be easy just to have everything. You know, I'm probably going to buy all these books just so I have them. I'm also going to have forces that are in three out of four of the Grand Alliance, although death, one day, one day I'll get to death as well. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and I think there, there were a couple of leaks this past week about what yes. is included in some of these Grand Alliance books. And, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting is the presence of vampires in the Bringers of Death book, which I think will make a lot of people wow. happy because then you can have a vampire-led force. You know, like you said, I'll probably get all, all of the books myself because I play Order, I play Chaos, and, of course, my stepson plays Death, so it might as well get Destruction. Let's <laughs> <laughs> round it out. Wait, exactly. so is Soulblight its own warband, or are they just they get are they getting their own... Like it's like a lesser vampire going to be able to lead a legion. Yeah. So as far as I know, um, one of the things, and, and I'm not completely clear on the rules, but what I read is that these books enable you to take any hero as a leader model instead of the leader model. Oh, that, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. And so they they've included a few different death models, like a vampire, which you can take as your vampire lord to lead your legions of Nagash faction, for example. But how it all interacts, you know, like whether you can take the Vampire Lord for your Flesh Eater Courts faction, and, you know, I'm assuming you can, but, but yeah, those are all details in terms of how the Warband can be built that we'll have to kind of wait and find out. Yeah, and it, I also, if we're going to go full into the leaks, I saw that there are more abilities 
per warband. Like, I think there's going to be more leader-specific abilities, and they're also adding additional models to existing warbands. So I saw specifically that Iron Jaws are going to get Gore Grunt as added, which is great. Which is great. More toys. Yeah, uh, definitely. It'd be pretty yeah. cool. The Sisters of Avalorn, I think, I saw on some of the pictures for the Order book as well, which you know, which is awesome. Yeah. I think they're they're what are, what are they called now? Because they're because Avalorn doesn't exist anymore. It's the yep. yep. Wanderers. They got the bows. Sisters of yep. the Watch. Sisters of the Watch. Sisters yeah. of the Watch. Now, yeah, that's yep. what they're called. Oh, right? and uh, yeah, and I also saw that your prediction that every grand lot, every city, every city of Sigmar is going to have some sort of specific rule, um, as they were all called out in the order book. Yes, no, I did that. That, that worked out, but yeah, so not in the White Dwarf, but in you know, yeah, you know, Battle Tome. In, in a publication we didn't predict. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Great, I'll take it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Anything? Anything else you want to talk about the books? And then there's just I think one more thing we should talk about that we I don't think we talked about last time. Yep. Yep. Uh, nothing books for me. Okay. And then the last set of things we have coming or that are on pre-order now we have new box sets we have new warband specific box sets for Warcry. Mm-hmm. these are for four factions iron jaws skaven flesh of Accords, and caradron overlords yeah and these are just great ways of getting into the faction i think they these things come with a lot of good models mm-hmm. um the skaven one has like what like 30 models in it it's got a lot yeah, it yeah, looks, that certainly. Looks yeah, like a certainly goodbye. more than one warband worth of yeah. miniatures. So that that's great, and it comes with tokens, and they come with all of the ability cards you want. So yeah, another great way of like getting into a faction you want to play yeah. um, at pretty good value too. I think these are all good values uh, as well. So yeah, so definitely a, one you know one stop shop get your whole warband and cards, which is it's pretty nice than having to buy multiple box sets and combine things. And yeah, you love it really yeah. He really wants me to circle back on my Iron Jaws project or my Iron Jaws army. I just, uh, it's hard to fit in. Well, I mean, now my backlog is like, no. I, yeah, it's probably, I'm probably good through the year with uh, Science of the Flame and stuff. Right. Yeah, so one day, one day I'll get back the box to my boy. Yeah, I know lots of exciting news in the last couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to seeing when the Great Alliance books come out and, you know, and also these new box sets and see how people use them. Looking forward yeah. to it. All right, next, we're going to jump into our Circle of Paint category. Tale of two warbands this season. And now, Paven and I are able to start building these models, which is super exciting. And uh, we'll, um, you know, put them together and uh, in our Discord channel, maybe on Twitter. We'll try to share some of our color schemes as we come up with them along the way. Like like Paven, I, uh, I take a long time <laughs> figuring out a color scheme and I'm intimidated by the process. So I'm definitely got to jump in there and start working on that so that I can get my models assembled and at least start working out a color scheme while we think about getting our first uh, campaign started. Yeah, we should circle back. So the, the challenge this season is that we are going to kind of choose our warbands and paint them and create, a, I guess, a hobby project around our warbands, which we are starting this season. It wasn't the Seraphan and the, the Disciples of the Those were just our holdover ones. Those were just while we were waiting. Now we're legitimately started on our warbands. They're going to be the starter set warbands for Catacombs. And we're going to, I don't think there's any, a lot of rules. We're just going to like hobby as much as we can on them. Maybe, you know, certainly a a warband's worth. Maybe mercenaries. Maybe monsters. Maybe additional terrain that's themed with the warband. And then we will put them up for a vote on the internet. Probably not in person. And whoever wins gets to plan a scenario, which to smash the other participants in the challenge. There you go. 
Perfect. <laughs> so to jump back into it, I think we talked a little bit th- about this in hobby time, but like, let me hear about your influences for both the theme and narrative and what colors you're thinking about for your Canaanite Shadowstalkers. Definitely. Over the last few weeks, I did a lot of research into shadowy elements, as you, you know, mm-hmm. might expect. You know, in D&D, um, you know, there's the Shadowfell and there's other shadow realms where characters can actually channel shadow magic and things like that. So I, I used some time looking for images related to those types of things. And I've kind of put together a uh, storyboard of different images, including some from Catacombs, you know, because we didn't have the books and stuff yet. And they shared some really interesting artwork. Kind of strugg- still struggling with, with the concept. I really like the idea of kind of a light and dark side on models. You see it often with fire effects and, you know, mm-hmm. object source lighting where one half of the model looks like it's kind of reddish and orange in tone because it's next to a fire and the back half is kind of colder because it's in the shadow or in the darkness or in the moonlight or something like that. So I thought something like that would be really neat to do where perhaps the back of my models will be darker, fading into shadow, but then I have more of a gray and lighter tones in the front, so it looks like they're stepping out of the shadow. But I, I have to figure out how to actually paint that, because I haven't done that before. So that'll definitely be a challenge for me. In terms of colors, I think I'll definitely do a company they'll definitely be black, do some metal colors. And in terms of accent colors, I'll, I'll probably go with some oranges and some kind of turquoise green. You know, they use some of those turquoise green color in the artwork for the Catacombs book. So I think that and some of the orange tones will kind of balance some of the darker tones nicely. So that's kind of what I have in mind at the moment. How about yourself? What? what, what wait, I, do you have a story you're thinking about for your guys yet, or is that going to be more organically? That's. I, I think that'll be coming along a little bit later. I think as soon as I get my models assembled, I'll probably have a better feel for it. Um, okay. In the Warcry Catacombs book, it talks about Marathi sending the Canite Shadowstalkers to the Eight Points to collect a Varanite to use in her rituals. You know, so they're looking for Varanite, but there's also several other quests in the book, which mm-hmm. I think you know they can follow up, including looking for the Well of Shadows and things like that. I think based on whatever quest I start with, I'll kind of form my narrative around that. And there's also some interesting origin and leader favorite background warrior sections that I can maybe draw some inspiration from and build that and come up with a name, obviously. Very important. Yeah. Oh, the name and the name and yeah. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll jump in and start talking about my warband. I think I hit a lot about my struggles with color scheme and trying to go cold with the fire. I think object source lighting is specifically something I'm not going to attempt with these models, even though flame features prominently. I think I'm just going to work on getting the fire to look good, which is I yeah. know, a struggle personally for me whenever there's fire on anything. Yeah, I assembled all these guys. They look great. These are This is my favorite, certainly the favorite Chaos Warband they've come out with. They were really great to assemble. They have a lot of options, kind of head things, like masks you can leave off of that will, you know, they still like look like they, it's sculpted underneath so you can get away with that. There's a great hierarchy and there's a lot of cool guys. It's not just like one super guy, one second in a can, uh, command and then a bunch of scrubs. There's a number of folks that do different things. And so I'm excited to kind of explore each of those and, and kind of uh, jump in and, and paint them and bring in the, the Orgroid. But I think I talked in, at, at great length about kind of where my hobby is in the hobby section. So I won't bore you there. We're working on it. I don't have any ideas for terrain. I certainly already have my first mercenary picked out, but I don't know, like maybe a monster. What is what monster kind of lines up with flame? I don't know. But that, that's it. That's where I'm at here on my on my paint challenge. 
Nice. You pointed out that there are a lot of options in the kit, and I'm noticing that too with the, the canine shadow stalkers. Is even with the shroud queen, who's who's the leader of the warband, that has an alternate model posing that you can use for one of the shadow bound instead. So uh, you know, it kind of predicts the fact that you might want to buy a second kit, and you may not need a second leader. So I, I notice there's a few different places where you can have multiple crossbow guys or maybe multiple guys with the doomfire rings or you can model the leader as another warband member instead so i think they did a really nice job designing these particular kits with tons of variety not so much redundancy if you happen to buy a second kit to build out your warband as you progress in your campaign yeah that's a great point uh because we're both like on the hook for at least two of these kits with the you know the one we we got as our review copy and then we're both picking up the boxes independently I am, I, you know, I built all of these guys kind of the way they come out of the box, and I'm excited mm-hmm. to, with my second group, try different things, like, yep. I don't know, head swaps or are using different bits and kind of making sure that every member of the warband feels, feels individual. Yeah, I agree completely. So, yeah, thank you for sharing your painting scheme ideas and whatnot. Uh, do you have any particular ideas on your narrative yet? I think it's going to be where it comes out painting scheme wise i think i mentioned a little bit about the maybe they worship the flame for a purpose in their culture Mm -hmm. i don't know if they were a like there's going to be a cold element i don't know how cold i'm going to go i don't know if they're going to be like their bases are going to be frozen ice i don't know if it's going to be ice cavern i don't know if it's just going to be snow on the ground but like were they a civilization that was formerly hot and then a, the, maybe the Everwinter came through and ruined everything and then they turned to fire worship to try to combat it? Were they, did they always live in a cold area? And then they, there was a cult of fire that sprung up and then it was kind of like, you don't, you don't worship Mother Winter anymore. You worship this fire, this chaos fire cult. I think I'm going to like leave it open for interpretation that they mm-hmm. did, they, they were, they, they did come from somebody somewhere cold. And then they, they do worship the flyer like Scions of the Flame do and then leave it up to kind of, I don't know, how they, how my games come out and how the, the path of this warband takes to kind of flesh that out and kind of leave right. space for the, the narrative to evolve organically either in my own head or over the course of my games. Awesome. Yeah, no, always a good policy. Thank you. All right, I think at this point we'll take a short break and then we'll come back with our victory condition and explore the catacombs set in further detail. Season 3 is here, and we're excited to bring you more Dogs of Warcry. We'll be discussing new warbands, the upcoming starter box Catacombs, our ongoing games and narrative play, and keeping you up to date on our Circle of Paint challenge. Thank you for the encouragement, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Dogs of Warcry. Please share your ideas and feedback with us as we travel the eight points together. Our victory condition this episode is to discuss the lore, rules, and other interesting elements from the Warcry Catacombs box and share our thoughts on this new expansion. Now, a couple caveats. We haven't played any games yet. So anything, you know, please take, as usual, all of our opinions with a large grain of salt. This is kind of our, our, our hot takes. But we're very excited to share what we learned, what we're excited about playing, interesting nuggets and, ju- and, and juicy tidbits. And I want to start with Josh. Give me your hot takes, having played no games and not assembled your guys yet. Give me your hot takes on your Canaanite Shadowstalkers, like good, like good moves, really cool fighters. Like who, who are you jamming on? Yeah, I think they've got a. They have a nice variety of models, like you said, with different utilities. 
There's there's one that has a whip that can give you four inch range, or she's got a spear for two inch range, and the leader has a, a pretty interesting quad ability, which uh, can damage all enemy models within three inches, or if she hurts herself, all enemy models within six inches. Oh, but, cool. uh, yeah, so the, quite a quite a potent ability. I think one of the interesting things is uh, you have a, a mixture of range units and melee units, which I think will be really helpful. They remind me a bit of the Cypher Lords because they seem somewhat fragile. And, and a lot of the, I guess, the, the cheaper models in this particular warband only have eight wounds. So mm-hmm. they will also die more quickly. There's a mix of two-inch range, long-range, melee, and they have some nifty abilities that let them travel from the shadows or... Um, disengage and, and, and engage a different model. So even if you're within, you can end your move within one inch of another model where normally you cannot. So it'll be a really interesting mixture of abilities. And I think it'll be figuring out the, the pivotal moments to use ability to get away from danger or to put yourself in danger or maybe some kind of a, a hammer and anvil tactics. So yeah, really looking forward to trying them out. How about yourself? What do the signs of the flame do for you? Yeah, no, they got they they got some good profiles here. They got some high damage, especially on their leader, the Blazing Lord, and their I think they're number two. Although there's a kind of close kind of group of of solid fighters, but the Brazen Champion, who's got a uh, three six damage profile weapon with three attacks, nice. so that's pretty good. They have pretty much good damage on a lot of their fighters. I think their kind of their weakness is going to be their movement. I think this is kind of they're, they're not as slow as Iron Jaws, so they all have base move four, but they don't get they don't get beyond that four, and they don't really have any abilities to to speed them up either, besides the universal one. So I think that's going to be very kind of key for uh, these folks. I wonder how if movement's going to be as important in below ground games as above as it was above ground. We shall see. Yeah. Um, it is compensa- compensated somewhat, and they have a lot of reach, too. Like nice. their leader, the Brazen Champion, a lot of the other fighters have this two-inch reach. So that, And they have uh, some ranged abilities. Like they're able to like throw the, I don't know, their grenades. They have a, they have a grenade <laughs> move that a lot of this on a lot of the fire. It's called Throw Firebomb. Right. The other thing I wanted to... Oh, so we'll see how they play. I'm very excited. I think they can definitely do some damage. I like their profiles. Some of them even compete with squigs. Uh, so that that was you know if they're in the squid category you know they're good. Um, I there is one really cool I like this quad a lot I want to mention it specifically it's on the infernal priest only and it fits in neither the camp of always worse than rampage or always better than rampage it's kind of a side grade so it's situational oh. it's only on the infernal priest and it is pick a visible enemy fighter within three inches of the fighter and roll six dice. For each two up, allocate the number of damage points to that fighter equal to half the value of this ability. So on a five or six, three damage points. Right. If you, in addition, for each roll of the six, roll one extra dice. So it has, you know, a long tail of infinite damage. But likely, you know, on a five or a six quad, you're looking at 18 damage on this attack. You know, nothing, you know, on two ups, you know, or, or you know, kind of expected. Right. Um, so that's very cool, and it's also, you just burn the fighter to death. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very, you know, you're very evocative what you can you can think is happening, which is, like, you just burn this person down, uh, and you can really spike for some really high damage as well. Um, so I think that that will have a place with Rampage that I think, like, depending, you know, it's going to be situational whether Rampage has more expected value. Like, if you're rampaging your leader in, 
and they're going to get you know three three actions of attacks on a fighter. That's probably more than 18 damage, but maybe not. Kind of being able to project that 18 damage within three inches of your inferno piece. Maybe you just need that damage on the other side of the board. So yeah, yeah, yeah the, the, those are my quote unquote hot takes for the signs of the flame. Nice. No, definitely. It seems like the the quads are definitely interesting to these two warbands. You know, where mine is sh- summoning the shadows to attack their own fighters, and yours is shooting an inferno of fire to burn down the model. It's pretty. It's mm-hmm. pretty. It should be pretty interesting to find uh, how they work in the vein in the game. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'll go next, let's jump into the lore. What, what can you tell me about the lore of catacombs? The lore of catacombs. So we have a couple good pages on really the new zone where the kind of the catacombs quests take place. So before in the initial box set and the first few sets of quests we got, they all took place in the Bloodwind Spoil, which is a slice of the eight points um, between the gates that go to Shaman and the gates that go to Gur. Now, catacombs takes place in this area we call Branthrax's Maw, and it's a network of tunnels and uh, health forge that's built into the skeleton of what they call a great drake. So I would say a big dragon skeleton. And there's all kinds of stuff in there. Can you talk about a couple of things that are interesting? Like, so it's a huge. What they give us in the book is a huge map which shows like all the different levels and like kind of all the little teaser words that Games Workshop does in their maps. Like, oh, what does that mean? Yeah. And but tell tell us a little bit more about like why warbands would want to go here. Definitely, there's lots of interesting lore kind of spread throughout the book, and it, you know, as Paven mentioned, it gives us this really interesting slice of this underground realm underneath Varanax's mall, and it says Varanax is you know it was the Drake that the skeleton belonged to, and that maybe only Archeon knows how it ended up there. Maybe he killed it, maybe he didn't, but for some reason, it's been there for a long time. There are these caverns and temples and chambers deep into the realm here that have been here since before chaos took over, but have been, of course, corrupted and changed since then. And then warbands have been fighting over this space for thousands of years. And it says, you know, it talks about hundreds of civilizations have, have lived within these areas and, and, and died away, that there are traps aplenty and treasures everywhere to be looking. And of course, valuable ores like in the nectite and varanite and the co- another one called the scale stone which i hadn't heard of before so lots of reasons for warbands to be fighting in this area particularly for varanite but it also mentions that one of the reasons the signs of the flame are here is because they believe this realm belongs to them that because there's these infernal forges here and there's lots of fire that it belongs to the signs of the flame so that's why they're protecting it so heavily Lots of interesting little tidbits on the map. Uh, some of the places are mentioned in some of the quests that are in the book, and other places are not. And there are lots of symbols, which maybe they're new warbands, maybe they're interesting uh, tidbits for the future, new, maybe new board areas to play on. But definitely looking forward to see how they flush out this area. And it was really interesting to see kind of a, a underground slice of this particular region. I did not real. I did not look into these symbols before these have got to be new warbands you'd think yeah i mean some of them are really interesting yeah you know one of them looks like a weird bug yep a scorpion crawler pits yeah you got a chain one that's near the three hives we got a skull one with spikes we definitely have a skaven symbol 
We got an axe with a blood drop on it. We got two axes with a big blood drop on it. And then a, I don't know, what looks like a, some sort of statue with eight points sticking out of it. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Yep. Yep. That mm-hmm. would be, yeah, I hope, I hope that's, uh, these are teasers of things to come. Oh, and then there's a hammer. There's an anvil one. It looks like that's the and, upper and, you know, Chaos Duradin were mentioned more than once in this book. Yes. Exactly. So that would not surprise me at all. And they've already made an appearance in War Cry Brands before, so it might, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is where they show up, like with mm-hmm. the super forges. And I think Chaos Duradin do live here. Like they are, like, you know, working some of these hell forges. And, yeah. And I, Okay. And one of the thing I thought was interesting is that the map it shows a dreadhold right on top of it, you know, the region here. And there's some other buildings and towers, you know, kind of scattered farther away, which, you know, so it definitely hints to there being larger constructs and structures around here. And then that the, the catacombs and caves and everything are so vast beneath that no army could possibly hold all of it and control it. So it, it justifies, you know, a lot of reasons why there could be war bands from all over the place running around rampant in here without you know fear of persecution so to speak yeah yeah it's horrible here for sure like anywhere else <laughs> it points and it's like it's been right. horrible for thousands and thousands of years like whole civilizations have lived and died in this cave system and in the, it was already old when they started Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah. there's, you know, there's a, a limitless possibilities. And one of the things that, you know, kind of a, a reference to some of the Lord of the Rings section, it says, even after years of raids and expeditions into the seemingly endless depths, such incursions nearly always end in death and madness for unspeakable things lurk in the darkest places of the deep earth. <laughs> yeah, you can't you don't want to dig too deep or too greedily. <laughs> right. Right. Things that are best left alone. Okay, we'll, we'll probably do more lore deep dives in later shows, and I think we're going to circle back to this on, on, on a lore a little bit when we talk about the quests that are in this book. Mm-hmm. But let's switch gears. Let's start talking about the rules. What are the twists that Catacombs puts on kind of the war cry we know and love? Yeah, so one of the nice things about Catacombs, the dungeon rules, are there, you know, over, like most of the war cry rules, they're fairly simple. But they add some different ways to play, which are, I think are going to be quite interesting. Normal rules apply. You muster your warband, you make your priority roll, and then the loser of the priority roll sets up their warband and the different battle groups, you know, your dagger, hammer, shield, and then, you know, the winner does. After that, that's when it changes. So at this point, you pick a dungeon battlefield. And, you know, now it makes sense. You know, they come up with the battlefield sets. You can choose any of those battlefields. And it says, you know, people should decide together if they would prefer to use a battlefield. And if the people can't decide, then you roll off and the winner gets to choose which dungeon battlefield you use. And, and Josh, the battlefields, these are the boards, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. These are the dungeon boards. And, um, at the, and after that point, the, the way the rest of the game is set up is, is different. So the, the winner of the priority role, in most cases, gets to decide or and or role for the series of steps after this. So, they'll, for example, there are several tables throughout the book that indicate what, what the deployment maps are going to be, what the victory conditions will be, and what the twist will be. The winner of the priority role will roll, and they have two different tables, an A and a B table, and then they roll again, and then that determines which particular deployments you're going to use Etc. You know, which deployment, which victory, which twist. One of the interesting things is for this particular, the Infernal Forge Floor map, there are 12 different entrances, tunnel entrances onto the board. 
the deployment maps all have two of your battle groups starting on the board, and then there's a flat. The rest of your army, the rest of your warband comes on in turn three. It's, you know, so there isn't a turn two or turn three. It's everybody else comes on in turn three. So you start with your two battle groups. When turn three comes along, then each player will deploy one member of their warband within three inches of a tunnel entrance. Then the next player deploys one member, and then you kind of go back and forth. And it can be any tunnel entrance, as long as they're three inches away from any enemies that are also coming in on that same turn. So you could be within three inches of an enemy that was already on the board. So it would be really interesting to have these reinforcements rushing in from a variety of tunnel entrances on the dungeon floor. So looking to see how that kind of works out. But uh, the twists are all very interesting, so the victory conditions... So we kind of maybe touched on a couple of those, but some of the twists are traps or overbearing heat, that kind of thing. And again, so you kind of go through the battle plan cards, and then you set up dungeon terrain. And the dungeon terrain wait, wait, wait. is a little uh, different. Uh, Josh, can I say a couple things about kind of the the, car, the battle plan cards? Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so the first thing I'd like to say is for the victory conditions, an interesting thing is they all go to battle round five, at least as far as I can see. And so this third turn, people coming in, it's not like they come in on the third turn and then the games end on the third turn, which is kind of how a couple of the the old victory conditions worked. So your warbands are always like fully coming in at the middle of the game. Um, and so that's interesting because I think there's a better expectation of like everybody's going to be in the game. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but it sounds like, oh, two of your groups are going to be on the t- table immediately. And then the third group's going to come in and they're going to be able to like join the action immediately. So if that, I don't know if that will be like more smoother kind of expected or it's going to have you balance your war bands better. That, that'll be interesting to see. But I noticed that difference specifically. Mm-hmm. And I also like to call it that a lot of the twists interact with the specific parts of dungeon games. Like they're specific to the dungeon. Uh, some of them are general, like subtract one toughness or something like that. Uh, but some of them are everybody comes in late. Like, so everybody comes in on turn four instead of turn three, or somebody comes in turn early, or you roll differently, mm-hmm. or nobody can breach any doors. So I think I like the, the, the twists are specific to the dungeon version of the game. Yep. Um, I agree. And but some of them are very specific to lava, too. So yeah. obviously those will have to change for the new board types, which may not have lava. So it'll be interesting to see if they come with their own twists and setups, of course. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, curious about that as well. Sorry, please go ahead with the dungeon terrain. No, no, it was great to point out that these, these often go to turn five, because that is a big difference, you know, and especially an expectation of when your reinforcements arrive and having two turns to still get something done with them. Yeah, to mention big, that you start a lot closer. Yeah, big TBD is whether games are shorter or longer. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so the dungeon terrain, um, as you can kind of see on the on the box set, it comes with doors and bridges, you know, mainly, uh, but it also has some unique dungeon terrain, which have special rules, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. It says for each dungeon battlefield, you know, in this particular case, the Infernal Forge floor, it, there's a map that shows you where to put the bridges. And so it, it tells you, okay, put these certain elements here. But the unique part about that is once you put the bridges down in this particular map, then you set up doors and you start with the winner, the priority roll, and you alternate. And you can put down, I think it's up to four total doors. So they can be sealed doors or open doors. But again, both players get to take uh, part of that particular action. And then you resolve the battle plan cards. 
and deploy your guys and you know everything your wolf or whoever might be attacker defender those kinds of things one other interesting aspect i saw is it says no gargantuan no creatures with the gargantuan wound mark can be included in dungeon battles and i don't recall how many of the monsters have that or whether all of them do but that can certainly impact what monsters or what sort of challenge battles you can play in the dungeons Josh, okay, so you already mentioned we set up, we take turns setting up the terrain on the map according to, I guess, how we want it. Tell me about what are the different pieces of terrain we got? We have all new terrain in this box set. What does everything do? We'll, we'll talk about unique dungeon features after we talk about some of the generic dungeon features. We talked about walls, that the, these structures do have walls. And the dungeon walls are interesting because they don't allow line of sight, which you would expect. You cannot move through them except for a particular ability used by night haunts. So even you can't fly over them or anything like that. They're considered to be floor to ceiling walls. And they do block controlling of objectives and treasure. So in the standard Warcry game, you can be within an inch of a treasure or an objective on the other side of some of the building walls and still claim it. In dungeon, you cannot because they're considered to be solid and that you, you cannot exercise control over any of those if there's a wall between you and the objective. I think that adds a, an interesting element to treasure and um, objective grabbing missions. Most of the walls have a doorway uh, that you can use to pass through, and that's where you have open doors or sealed doors. A sealed door acts as a wall until it's opened. And sometimes they can't be opened, but either based on the twist or if you don't have a lever to open it. Uh, otherwise, you could use an ability to open it so that you can you plan, you know, certain tactical strategies based on placing a sealed door on a particular part of the board to minimize your opponent's movement. So I think that's going to be really interesting where both players get to influence some of the strategy that's used based on what terrain elements they put out there. One of the other features of this particular dungeon map is there are pits. And in the the book, it shows you exactly where the pits are. And as you might imagine, the lava is the pit for this particular battlefield. And I think this is one of the most exciting features of this particular map. And the rules said, are there's rules for pits and how that works. So they kind of count on the edge of the pit. It counts as being on a platform. So if you get hit with a critical hit, and you're within half an inch of the edge, you could fall. If you're on one of the bridges and you get hit by a critical hit, you could fall. And or you can get, you know, with one of the abilities, you can get pushed into the pit. And in all of these circumstances, if you are pushed, pulled, kicked, fall into the lava, you are taken out of action immediately. So this definitely changes some of the strategies and it makes some of the models and allies very interesting where they have abilities that can pull or push models because the pit's going to be a really big source of opportunity for taking those models out. Yeah, yeah. so we went from you you could fall and you could take between one to three damage to you could fall and your model is dead. Yes. Which is, which is, yeah, this went, we went from <laughs> zero to 60 here on, on you know, d- dangerous uh, dangerous environments. And, I, and I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and this particular map, whenever you jump over the pits, you know, so if you can't use a bridge, you can still jump just like you would in a normal Warcry game, but you have to roll for impact damage because the heat coming from the lava. So you may, you may or may not take heat damage just jumping over the pits, not if you're crossing on a bridge, but but, so, but that they did add that particular element, which I thought was interesting. And again, that 
that won't be necessarily a factor in some of the other dungeon battlefield maps. But yeah, I think one of the exciting things is the ability to push models into the pit. And it's exciting because it, it's based on the toughness of the model doing the pushing, which, you know, we talked about in our last episode even, how, you know, we could make toughness more valuable or more yeah, interesting. Yeah, finally, toughness relevance. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now so we have it. How do you push somebody into a pit? Right, right. And, you know, I think, which is nice, too, is we could, okay, well, they've got this rule for pushing models. Why not just add this as a universal rule in normal Warcry games, too? Mm-hmm. So you can push a model off the top of the building. You know, I think that would be yeah. perfectly easy to do, and it would be fun, and it, and it won't change the gameplay a whole lot. And now we got some kind of standardized ruling for it. We can run with it, which is nice. Well, so I just I, want to mention, this is like, we're going to, I guess we'll talk about the universal dungeon abilities as a new set of abilities, and pushing to the pit is a triple. But we'll get right. into that. Have we talked about bridges yet? Because bridges not, are related to pit. Not so much. So there are bridges in this particular map. There are metal bridges and wooden bridges. And obviously you can use them to cross uh, over the pits. The, one of the interesting elements they added about bridges uh, is that you cannot place objectives or treasures on bridges. And once you cross on a bridge or if you end your move on a bridge, there's a chance that it can become weakened. And wooden bridges start weakened. And that's important because when you end your move or disengage action on a bridge, you roll a die. And if you roll a one, the bridge collapses and you fall into the lava and you're taken out of action. Yeah, everybody so, on the bridge died. Exactly, and everybody the bridge goes away. Like, <laughs> so you really yeah. got to be careful. Bridges aren't easy to you know maintain. If somebody rolls badly, everybody could be yeah. going down. So I, after, I really, I really sorry to cut you off, but I really uh, like that they make the rules like Dungeon Warcry feels more dangerous than regular Warcry. I like, agree. Warcry was already a very deadly and, and bloody game, but like Dungeon Warcry feels like, oh my god, like everything's like collapsing and we're falling into lava all the time, and yeah, it feels it feels even more brutal, and I like that, and that comes through in the rules. Um, I agree. I agree completely, and I think one of the fun things they've added. Is it reminds me a little bit of the challenge battles they added in, uh, you know, using some of the objective terrain from Age of Sigmar. Uh, what they've done here is they've added unique dungeon features. And so there are seven features. Uh, the setup of the game, the players alternate until four of them are set up. So in addition to the doors, you know, and um, placing those down, you get to place some unique dungeon features, which kind of changes every game depending on what features you put down. So you can't put down two of the same feature except for the lever, which is used to open doors. And there are only two of those. But some of the features include a wall breach. So that wall you thought might be safe, well, oh, somebody can put that breach there. And now it's an open way to the pit. So you can change the tactical strategy quite a bit for a particular room. The next one is the arm stash, which gives everybody plus one attack for attacks with a range of three inches or less if you're within one inch of it. The other is Curse Caskets, which you can also, if you're within one inch of it at the end of your move, you can pretend you roll a die and on a one you take D6 wounds because it inflicts you with the curse. We have the Lovers, uh, Shattered Pillars, which just count as obstacles and low terrain. There's a Sewer, which acts as another tunnel entrance. So then instead of 12, you might have 13 entrances onto the board. And then the Collapsed Doorway, which takes the place of one doorway counts as an obstacle and it also counts as dangerous terrain for crossing it so again just uh four different ways that people can change up the board layout on a regular basis make it new interesting or or affect their player strategy depending on where they put those objects 
really neat abilities. Did you want to touch on the, the dungeon abilities that they've introduced for the dungeon catacombs? Yes. Let's go over them quickly. So there is three new universal dungeon abilities and three new faction uh, dungeon abilities. So the, quickly, the universal abil- dungeon abilities for... Okay, so there's Lurk in Shadows, which is like kind of pressing yourself up against the wall or hiding, and you use this as a double, and turn the end of the battle round, the, fe- the fighter is not visible to any enemy fighters more than six inches away. So really, you're just hiding from shooting. Mm-hmm. So you like, you know, you hit the deck, and, you know, you can't be sniped. So that, that's a cool one. I wonder how that if that helps with balance. I don't know. But that's a cool one. The next is Breach Door. This is how you interact with the doors without a letter. This one just lets you punch through it. Pretty much you make an attack action. You roll a bunch of dice. And then you add numbers to your strength characteristic. And you need to get to up, six, up to a six. And then you break the door open. It stays open. And then the final one we talked about this is the exciting one. This is the kind of this is Sparta move. Where you use it as a triple, and then you roll off and add your toughness. And if the attacker is higher, so I guess defenders win ties, but if the attacker is higher, uh, that fighter is dead. So insta-kill, but you have to use it on a fighter that is within one inch of a pit. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so it's really just put, push into the pit is the move. And then we yep. have three faction dungeons abilities, and I think, you know, I don't have the Corvus Cabal cards. So two of these are Corvus Cabal, and I think they're specifically to replace kind of the elevation moves they had, because yep. they were such a jump down on you. So they, this is kind of like making the Corvus, like, use their agility and their sneakiness, but also in the dungeon context. So the first one is Wall Run, and that's a double, and then until the end of this next fighter's move action, this fighter can move over other a- uh, fighters if they could fly. So a double for a fly, um, but you have to stay near a wall. Fun- uh, useful and very cinematic. You just run, they're just running around the sides of the wall, getting around people. That's cool. Uh, the triple here is, this one's for Night Haunt specifically, and this one is called Float Through a Wall. So very spooky. Very thematic for Halloween, but this is the during the fighter's activation, they can move through dungeon walls and seal dungeon doors. So, ooh, they're coming through. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Also very yeah. cinematic. And then the last one is for the Corvus Cabal. Again, this is a quad. So you get to use wall run, and then you get to use bonus move and then bonus attack. So it's rampage, but with wall run. So... You know, Rampage is great. Anything that makes Rampage a little bit better is also good, is even better. So I think this is a very cool move. So this is like, you know, you're doing the kung fu of like running along the wall and then you're jumping off and you're yeah, stabbing somebody in the throat and then you're maybe kicking out with your scythe and chopping somebody's legs off. And so that's a, that's a very cool move. I agree. So hopefully that, uh, that shores up the Calvin's Cabal for the dungeons. I don't know. I don't know if you've even played against the, the Cabal yet. Um, yeah, but no, they, no, they've got great models and. Yeah, yeah, their their quad ability in the in above ground is like diving attack, where they you know you get a bonus to strength depending on how far you jump down to attack. So mm. they definitely needed to replace that in here because there's not not as much elevation. So mm-hmm. I think this definitely does the job. All right, so next I guess let's talk about what campaigns are included in this first dungeon book, you know, the catacomb. We've got uh, uh-huh. the, the dungeon maps, obviously. Anything, any changes about that? Well, so the first thing I'd like to say is before we, they, we now have some, in this book you have both, but now we have specific dungeon campaigns. And what those really are is that they show, instead of having the campaign map be above ground, you're actually like going in, uh, 
the oh my god, what do we call this place? Barantax's Maw. Yep. Uh, yeah, nailed it. Yeah, you're going through Barantax's Maw, completing your quest, whatever kind of nefarious uh, task you had. You're doing it underground, so that's cool. I'd also like to point out that continuing with Warcry's elegance, you can mix and match above-ground campaigns, underground campaigns. It's, it's all interchangeable. You can play one game fighting in the, the Soul Drain Forest, then one game underground, and then b- bounce around. There's no reason that you can't do both. Specifically for the dungeon quest, you play most of those games, if not all of them, your convergence games. So not the, the quests, not all ten of the quests along the chain, but for your convergences, the specific scenarios, those, play, those take place as dungeon games. So on dungeon boards with dungeon rules. Did I cut? Co- did I cover kind of the the broad strokes there, Josh? Yep. No, I definitely. I saw. And uh, you know, one of the things I was going to point out is it says that if players agree, you can play on a dungeon battle for a campaign game. So again, like Pavin said, doesn't matter what campaign you're playing on, you and your opponent can always choose to play a dungeon battle versus an above ground battle. And as he alluded to, there are lots of quests in this book especially the Faded quests, mix and match, above ground, below ground is their convergences. There, there are three quests related to the Canite Shadow Stalkers. One of them is all above ground, and the other two are kind of a mix and match or about below ground. And then there are two quests for the Signs of the Flame in this particular book. And four Faded quests, which have some really interesting themes to them. Yeah. What is your favorite quest, Josh? Go. Hmm. I'm not sure I have a favorite quest. I think of the Faded quests... I think the Spawn Master sounded really interesting. Yeah, apparently Aww. there's this sorcerer or something in a cavern deep below ground who is creating these spawn, and they're worried about unleashing these spawn throughout the entire catacombs. And so your warband has gone after to stop them from doing this. So I thought that was a really interesting quest, very cinematic, you know, where you have to fight this army of spawn potentially to stop this guy. Definitely uh, would be a fun faded quest to play. How about yourself? Oh, there's so many good ones. Uh, one, uh, uh, one of them is a coven of that deals with a coven of mind stealer sphinxes. Yeah. So the the cat club you have to go you have to go mess with. That sounds very dangerous. Another one you're trying to take down this colossus, this rampaging colossus that you don't know what it is, mm-hmm. um, but you're just like I think chasing ground. I think the one Spawn Master, obviously a great one. I think what I kind of like, it's kind of, it feels old school. It's called the Obsidian Tower. And this is home to a coven of vile sorcerers known as the Xianthian Kin, who committed countless outrages. So it's your classic, like, fight the League of Evil a group. And I just like, I like sometimes, like, the more standard quest narratives, so you can, like, put your weirdness into other ways. So not everything has to be extra all the time. Right. Um, I like I like this quest here, and I also like that it t- it starts above ground and then heads below ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I like yeah. the mixing between the like above ground and below ground. So like your battles and your narrative kind of have more geography to them. That exactly. Yeah, and, and I think it certainly tells a different story. You can you can show a progression of where your warband is advancing is because it's, you know, the geography matters, you know, because the mission changes, the, the terrain changes and it affects your tactics quite a bit. You might be better above ground than you are below ground. And how does that affect how you play? Yeah. So really interested in that. Did you have a, a particular signs of the flame quest that you were thinking of starting or have you not looked into that? Uh, I have not. I'm definitely going to do, I'm definitely going to do a below ground one. 
because I want to play more of those games, and I'm, yeah. I'm very excited. But I don't know. So that, that that brings it down to two. I think I'm going to pick one of the ones that they that is specific to them. I think mm-hmm. that's a good way to start. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. One of them is the Emulation Engine. The other one is Beasts of the Flame. I think my my themes are very uh, predictable. Uh, <laughs> like make the fire big. So I don't know. I don't have an answer for that yet. And I think okay. I have. Some, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold tight on it. Yeah, yeah, I think of the three Canaanite shadow stalkers like you. I'm gonna stick to the two that are below ground, and and the two that are there. There's one where the warband is supposed to collect Varanites, and then the other yeah. one is where they're supposed to search for the Well of Shadows to kind of conquer this source of umbral magic. And uh, yeah, I haven't decided which one of those I, think I would like to try yet, but I'm kind of leaning towards the Well of Shadows. That sounds really interesting and, and you know nebulous. It could, could lend to some really interesting warband background to do that. So Yeah, I really like all of the Marathi lore sprinkled into this book. Yeah. Because uh, it's like, you know, one of them has, has she sent her agents to go get uh, this Varanite, which is an incredibly corrupting substance. Like, you can't, you're not going to do anything good with Varanite. And, like, what is Marathi doing with it? Like, what yeah. does she want this, like, distilled chaos for? Is this foreshadowing the events that are upcoming with the new Marathi Age of Sigmar book? It's very interesting to see like a kind of a specific agenda taking place in the eight points rather than for the other non-chaos warbands are kind of just like opportunists. They're just like, oh, we're here to try to steal some souls or like set up this thing. But Marathi is being specific here. Like she wants to go to this one place in the eight points where there's a lot of Varanite and steal it. For some purpose. Yeah, yeah I so. think it's interesting. It's not necessarily in, you know, influencing the storyline, but I think, it, like you said, it's foreshadowing something that's already coming and maybe lending a little bit more information about it once we get that other campaign book. Well, like being, oh, okay, okay, now we know what this yeah, is. Yeah, we always just good. One of the other interesting lore bits that are sprinkled throughout here is they talk about the, the umbral web and that the Canaanite shadow stalkers are, they have the shadow mark that binds them to, to Marathi, their soul oh, it belongs to her. They talk about how the shadow stalkers, when they travel the umbral web, they lose a piece of their soul every time. You know, whether it goes to the realm of shadow or to Marathi is a little unclear, but I suspect mm. it probably goes to Marathi. So they talk about themselves yeah. dying a little bit every time. And that sometimes the Canaanite shadow stalkers are, it's not necessarily a voluntary choice. <laughs> so maybe she's gotten mad at you and bound you to yeah. your soul. And sent you out. So, yeah. so, so definitely some good, interesting background like, elements. That don't they? Don't the, some of the shadow stalkers also bind themselves to shadow demons? Correct. Like the Ooh, those, have, those have come up before in other in other contexts and other podcasts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's 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 interesting seeing that thread pulled on slowly and in this specialty game. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think they kind of, uh, t- you know, add some of those additional elements into the Canaanite Shadowstalker background tables in the back. We we'll talk about origins, lead- leader backgrounds, and some names. I was surprised they didn't have anything for the Signs of the Flame, though. But, but that is because the Signs of the Flame is in the core book. Oh, that's right. Thank you. I yeah. knew there was a reason. I just hadn't looked that up. Yeah, no, they've been. They, they were. They were. They had all their their background tables and one of their quests in the core book, right? You know, for over a year without yes. having any miniatures. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah, there we go. I was going to say there must be a reason why it's not in here. No, yep, no, that's, yeah. That's yeah, it is, it is interesting. Yeah. Awesome. 
Did you have any other thoughts about uh, what the dungeon battles adds to the game at all, Faven? No, you know, I think our excitement has come through on this podcast, but we really won't give you kind of how things play out. I'm I'm very curious how how things play out. If I would guess, I think the games are going to be similar in length. I think they might be a little longer only because we're getting to that fifth turn as opposed to games taking two or three, two, like three or four turns. Mm -hmm. I suspect that pushing people into a pit won't happen as often as we like (laughs) because we (laughs) want it to happen all the time. And I imagine you're getting to each other more quickly because there's no verticality to run around. It's just right. you run down a hallway like straight at each other. Yeah. Uh, but those, yeah, so those, are, those are my predictions with it. I'm very excited to try it out. I think it'll be very cool. Um, I'm also very excited to, you know, I think my one maybe criticism or constructive criticism or maybe just, just unconstructive was that I don't think the dungeon games are as aesthetically pleasing as the above ground games. Like, the the train is more abstract underground than it is above ground. Like we don't have walls. Like all of our walls are flat on the board. They're not sculpted. So I would, I I think you talked about, but I'm very I'm very interested in sculpting those walls and then getting kind of that full 3D experience with the train. Definitely, yeah, yeah. It's nice that the doors and the terrain, the unique terrain elements, all of that is 3D. And, yeah, but yeah, you're right. The walls are not. And as I was imagining ways to construct the walls probably using foam board or something else you know the the wall breach can be placed anywhere on the walls and so that makes it a little challenging because you can't build the walls statically because you got to be able to put the wall breach down somewhere Mm -hmm. so you have to be able to make the part of the walls uh, modular so that you can put the wall breach in its place so i'll have to think about ways to do that but i agree i think a three-dimensional element will add a lot visually to the game and I think that's why Paul had mentioned he was super excited about using some of his dungeon terrain, uh, which, you know, in his caves and cavern systems and, uh, you know, other lots of different opportunities to include, uh, you know, sewers or dungeons or temples and, and have it all underground. So I think a lot of people are excited about that possibility. Should we go on well, to listener questions? I think that's a great idea. We had a lot of a lot of questions from our listeners today. We'll start with first one. Your dag squig. He asks, do you think the catacombs rule set adds enough on top of the war cry rule set? What do you think, Paven? Yes. Next question. Yes, <laughs> yes, I agree. I, agree. I don't know. It's a it's a fun twist. I think they're so I've heard on YouTube somebody call War Cry is Games Workshop's best rule. I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate that. I'm not a very I'm not a you know a game design aficionado, but it is it, it has a lot of real wisdom in it it makes it very easy to pick up and play the games are very fast you don't have to do as much book peeping as you would do in like a Mordheim type game and you can kind of just play anybody at any time and still have your narrative experience i think that's all really great and i think they've realized how well it works and they've ported that a lot over to the new crusade system in 40k um, what is great about catacombs is that it adds to the game, but it doesn't. Not, you can just you can take it or leave it, or you can play a game, but you don't have to play a whole catacombs campaign. So you can just like if you have the things and you want to play a catacombs game. It's not. I don't think it's any more complex than a regular Warcry game. It's just different. The complexity is that it's adding another selection of choices, not that there's more to keep track of necessarily. I agree. And I think that, you know, it, it makes very thematic twists, you know, which you can you can add, you know, you could say, oh, maybe we're playing in a cavern 
Maybe I'll add unstable stalactite twist, and you can use it as maybe we roll for impact damage if you cross over this piece of terrain. You know, so I think yeah. they did a nice job of making it the theme more interesting. You know, if you're playing underground, these are your unique twists. And I think with each dungeon board we get, some of those may change, and so you can end up with some, a variety of different experiences depending on what those twists or you know what the layout of the board is. How many entrances do you have? And so, like you said, it doesn't complicate the game. It just gives you more choices to play different ways, which is nice. Yeah. yeah, it's not really like built on top of. It's kind of like next to the core rules in a way. Right. Um, and and you're, I like, just, you're just swapping thing, a bunch of things out. Yeah. And I, and I like it, the interchangeability where you can go above ground, below ground. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it certainly makes my Pillars of Pandemonium board more interesting because now we can have an above mm. ground section and the below ground section could use dungeon rules. Interesting. Awesome. Yes. All right. And next, are, we have several questions from Dosesos, the Mortal Realms, Aaron. And he asks, first, is it clear how Catacombs games integrate with campaigns folks are already running? And I think we've answered that, saying yeah, you can substitute a normal game with a, with a dungeon board and a dungeon game, and, and it doesn't impact anything. If you're playing a convergence, you know, you typically there's terrain elements set up specifically for that convergence. And for the dungeon games and catacombs, they have a specific board for that. So I think that's the only point where you'd want to revert to the, that quest's particular convergence board. Mm-hmm. His second question is, is it easy to insert them into campaigns, or do they sit on top of next to tangentially to a campaign? Well, I think you answered that very nicely in our previous question, Paven, that it kind of sits next to you know, a campaign where you can integrate it however you want, however much you want. So and just, then, just to reiterate, sorry, I'm just going to uh, yeah. answer this question again directly. So you can, any campaign game can be a dungeon game. Easy. Just it, just play a dungeon game. Even for convergences, I would say, like, see if it works as a, if you really want to play a dungeon game for your convergence, try to play it as a convergence. As long as, like, the victory conditions make sense, you can just, like, swap out the terrain for a dungeon setup. I've always considered that more guidelines than rules, and I think that would be okay to do as well. Um, yeah. So it's very easy. Yeah. Sorry, Josh. Please, please keep going. You're doing great. No, no, no. I think that's a great point. And then Aaron asks, would I need to start over to get the full effect? And the answer is no, you would not. So I think you could, you know, whatever campaign you're currently in, easy to slot this in for your next game or the rest of your games or whatnot. Our next question is from Koros, Scarbrand's daddy. And he asks, are there any changes, clarifications to the base rules, or is it the same core book? And at this point, all the core rules still apply. I think my only criticism is that they released the exact same core book without any of the facts or any of the changes in the glory points tables or anything else. I understand why. It makes sense. You've already got the same print pattern. Economically, it makes sense. It would have been really nice if the core book had all the updated corrections that you know we've we've seen in the facts and everything after that. But yeah. but there are no no changes to the core or base rules at all. Yep. Next series of questions are from Biggables. First, he asks, how does the map and a bunch of walls gates compare to more 3D games with the Wave One core set or other tables? What do you think? How does it compare? Oh, I think I went on my little my little tangent already about I don't think it's it's for my eye, it's not as aesthetically pleasing as the fully three-dimensional terrain. It's a little bit more abstract. So I, w- I would say from an aesthetics place, it's probably not, not, I don't enjoy it as much. 
other than that, I think it's a different kind of game and a different, it, it is still very evocative of a underground kind of claustrophobic dungeon zone as opposed to the playing on the plane. Yep. I agree. I, I was pointing out and uh, some of the, in the catacombs book, they have lots of really evocative three-dimensional pictures, you know, where they've, you know, cinematically set out three-dimensional sections with some of the storm vault terrain and bridges and walkways and the warbands are in different levels. And that looks really cool. So I think I, I definitely expect players to move into some three-dimensional setups with the dungeon rules to further enhance the experience. And, and uh, some of the pictures in the book, you know, already make you think in that direction. So I, I definitely think that'll make it more interesting. Pickable's uh, next question is: Does it specifically favor any warbands? What's the biggest difference in the play experience? Fun factor. What are your thoughts? I think flying is way less important, and it was very, it was very powerful before. Especially high movement flyers could just like do so much, and so they are not as powerful because specifically, like dungeon walls don't you just don't uh, respect flying at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is big, a kind of big thing that favors the the foot sloggers a bit more, which I think is good for the game. I think I think like that maybe more balanced. I don't know. I can't tell you enough about having not played any games again. I can't tell you enough if any warbands specifically are that favored or unfavored. I especially don't know how distance feels. I don't know if the game if we're gonna feel further apart or much closer together. I suspect closer together, but I don't know. So that would. So being closer together would favor the more combat-y warbands, like orcs, which have traditionally kind of maybe sometimes struggled to get across the, the battlefield. Things are more stacked up, like in a claustrophobic hallway, then like, you know, orcs are going to love it. But I don't know that yet. Josh, you have any thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. And I think, you know, because they're sealed doors, which may completely block off certain parts of the of the map unless you go a different route. So, and again, flying won't help you. So I think in some cases that could favor Nighthawk because they've got a triple that'll let them move through walls. But again, you got to spend a triple. So, uh, you know, in, you know, my first impression before I had had a chance to read through the rule set is that, oh, we're underground. It's probably going to favor melee oriented warbands more. But having read through the rule set and some of the unique terrain elements and, and uh, you know, being able to come in at different entrance terminals, uh, I think. Yes, it, it will probably favor some melee-oriented warbands more, but it doesn't eliminate, you know, some of the abilities or ranged attacks that other armies have or warbands have. It they'll still be just as effective, I think, and if, if not more dangerous because your enemy will be a lot closer and you don't have to move as far to get to them. Bigable's last question is: What are the biggest surprises in the Catacombs Supplement Book? Winners, losers, and missed opportunities. Ooh, what a what a what a broad question. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that surprised uh, surprised me was, and I'm really happy about this, was they seem to have been in a kind of the core book very careful about like non warband damage. So impact damage was very low and and kind of uh, it didn't it didn't play much of a factor in many games. So they seem to be very careful there. Here it doesn't feel like the same level. It seems like oh man, things are really dangerous. Like the kind of the insta kill of the pit being and the the bridges collapsing, all these kind of things just just taking out fighters. I really really like and was very pleasantly surprised that that was in the that was in the rule set. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. So especially some of the twists where 
you, there are traps everywhere. You move around, and on a one, you take d6 damage. It's just like, oh, wow, yeah. you're adding random damage potentially everywhere. Yeah, that, that d6 damage is new. It used to usually be like, oh, you take one damage here and there, but like right. throwing it, no, no, throwing out that full d6 of damage is, uh, you know, makes things more dangerous, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know one of the biggest winners, you know, is is having that push into pit. You know, using toughness to be able to do something in the game. We were hoping it would be coming, and we got you know not necessarily as a rule set, but as an ability, which I think is a great application for it. And uh, that way, it's not overused, and then potentially you know ruining someone's experience. You have to use triple for it, and you know still have a fun, impactful game experience. But so I think the only I'm trying to think of any missed opportunities from Hutch. Yeah, I don't know. I can't like this is like as as a new game mode, it <laughs> certainly meets my expectations. I don't know, maybe it'll be no fun when we play it, but I don't yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, I, at this point I did not expect a Warcry 2.0. I don't expect a new version of the game to come out a year later. I think, you know, I think we were talking about that, but I don't I think I think that might have been a, a bad thing to predict or expect. Okay. Yeah. No. I think yeah, I was. I wasn't yeah. looking for a, rev- a revision of the rules at this point. So yeah. I kind of like, uh, did I expect them to do different things? I think yeah, I, I'm interested to see how Catacombs does, like based on a, pre- a previous question, like how it does affect what were traditionally very powerful warbands. I imagine they'll still be pretty powerful, but I wonder if, if the game, I don't know, maybe feels better for a more broad set of warbands. I hope that's true, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I think especially with the deployment and reserve rules changing, you know, when your models can get into battle and still have an impact on the game. It certainly, I think it would make it interesting for some of those scenarios that you know, sometimes you were just stuck and, you know, there's no way my last battle group is going to impact this game at all. Yeah, so we yeah. get rid of that. I think that's a great, great change. Okay, so um, our next series of questions are from Neil. His first question is, how do the Scions and Shadow Elves compare to the Wave 1 Chaos Warbands? Uh, what are your thoughts, Pavin? So I'm not an expert in the Wave 1 Chaos Warbands. I've just played against them. They seem like in line with them or maybe slightly stronger. I mean, you certainly kicked my butt with the Cypher Lords over the last year. So I never felt those guys were especially weak. The Scions or the, at least looking at the sign cards, they feel pretty strong. They have, like, good moves, and they have, like, a lot of good fighters with good stats. But, you know, I haven't played them yet, so I don't have a, a good sense of, you know, if there's anything they're going to be lacking. I guess one thing I can say is, like, at least, look at the set, they don't feel, like, obviously overpowered. Like, some of, like, you know, Squig Hoppers still kind of feel very, very strong. The Gloomspite Bits quad is, I think, on the broken side of power, the power level. And I don't think there's anything in here that looks like that. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, I haven't looked at the Shadow Stalkers cards, so you're going to have to tell me. Mm-hmm. I think you know, the Scions remind me a bit of Untamed Beasts and, and Iron Golems, where you have a, a nice mix of different units with different abilities. And so I think it'll give you a lot of variety in terms of how you build things. But my impression wasn't that there was anything to too strong or not so i think it they kind of fit right along with the other chaos warbands but still have their unique flavor have some unique range attacks that the other chaos warbands didn't really have so they have their own spin on things in terms of the canaanite shadow stalkers as i mentioned earlier they kind of remind me a little bit of the cypher lords they have movement five some of them are quite fragile you know with only eight wounds for some of the the the, the grunts so to speak but they have a mix of reach weapons and ranged attacks and magical attacks 
as well as some utility abilities like the Cypher Lords did, where they can, you know, get out of danger or, or have more of a, an aura type effect. Um, so I think, I think it'll be really be interesting to see how they play. And as you said, Paven, we'll definitely have more input on that when we've played them enough and do a Warband deep dive. We can share some of our thoughts on that. Uh, Neil's next question, uh, do they perform well with a single sprue of models, or do you think they'll benefit from multiple sets for more options? For the Scions, I'm pretty happy with kind of the full eight guys getting to a thousand points. Um, I think there's a lot of, there's like a bunch of strong fighters that can take stuff off the table. I'm looking at at least four like strong fighters, and then the rest of the guys are kind of mixed, but there's still no real slouches. So yeah, I don't, like, I remember a lot of people were saying Iron Golems, you just wanted to get a ton of Ogre Breachers. I don't feel that way about the Scions, but I'm certainly going to get two two sets of Spurs anyway. Yeah, yeah, likewise. And I think, um, on paper, the initial Warband that comes in the box, you know, even with the variety of uh, conversion options, so you could go with two two models with double crossbows, or you could go with two models with the Doomfire Rings, or one of each. Um, I think one box or you know gives you all the options to try out and i think from there i'll get a better idea in terms of what i would like i think one of the ones that's initially interesting is one where you can have the whip or a spear and she's kind of a champion model and one gives you a four inch range but you know and slightly different attacks and one gives you two inch range you know but at the same points so that that's one where like oh maybe i want a second box so I could have two of those models in my warband because it only comes with one. But I think in terms of options, you know, you've got plenty of options in the basic box or the, you know, that comes in the catacombs box to field a fairly diverse warband with nine models for the, the Canaanite Shadowstalkers. You know, some of them are, are going to die pretty quickly, but uh, the champions got 12 wounds and then the leaders got 20. So, you know, kind of right in line with the original Chaos warbands, I think. Our next question is from PJ Shard, Paul, in the Mortal Realms. He asks, how do you think Catacombs expands the lore? Does it deepen the idea of the eight points? So, good good pun, Paul. Uh, Greg, you know, we'll, <laughs> give you, we'll give you some of those uh, Mortal Realms points for that one. I think we talked about the lore, extens- lore extensively in, uh, earlier, so see our answers from before. Yeah, just to add to that, yes, I do think it expands on the lore and the eight points. Uh, one of the, I guess, main thoughts that the map kind of provoked uh, was, oh, is this is this the bottom of the realm? You know, the realms are discs. Does it actually show us how deep that realm is in the eight points, or is it actually deeper than that? So that's one of the thoughts that I had uh, as I was reading through that section and, and, and delving into that map, so to speak. But I do think it adds a lot of interesting elements to the lore of the eight points in terms of there are parts of the eight point that are so vast underground, you know, with hundreds of civilizations have come and gone and warbands are still fighting and they still haven't explored everything. It really kind of creates the idea of like, and this is just in the eight points, which is a very small realm amongst the actual larger realms. And just imagine how deep those are and what civilizations and caverns and dungeons might be all over the realms. So kind of broadens the world in general and says, you can do whatever you want and tell whatever story you want. So I think that's yeah. always really nice. Darth Alec asks, how viable is it to build your own custom catacombs board? I'll jump in here because I'm, I'm working on that myself. And he actually started a Twitter thread and, and I've been chiming in on that. So I think... 
the you know the tile based map system that the dungeon board is i think is very flexible and modular because you could add tiles and boards from a wide variety of different systems i think it would be easy enough to create your own catacombs board specifically any sort of dungeon terrain you want maybe you've got temple sets maybe you've got sewers maybe you have cavern dungeon systems or maybe you create you know something out of wood and styrofoam or whatever else to mimic this board itself but i definitely think there's plenty of opportunity to make it a three-dimensional game you know which definitely appeals to the senses you know my senses you know and uh, and as other people have mentioned you know just enhancing the experience what are your thoughts Pavin? i think it's very viable to build your own custom board you can either build it 3d or you can you know use a piece of paper and a marker and just mark out your walls you just need entrances and you need, yeah, you need walls and like places where you can put the doors and stuff. But it should be, yeah, very, depending on how, how hard you want to go. Yeah. yeah. It's totally wide open for you. Yeah. And I think you could, you could port it to a, you know, city section or cavern section, you know, lots, lots of possibilities. Uh, and our last series of questions are from Frothy Cats. First question is, are there any rules for including above ground terrain when you're underground? Or do the printed walls take the place of that? I think, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, how you can play games above ground or you can play games below ground, but there isn't really a system in place to use the above ground terrain below ground. You know, based on some of the pictures and artwork that are in the Catacombs book, where they show people using storm vaults as platforms next to lava with bridges over them and using doorways as pillars for a walkway that's above. I think that those are certainly ideas that you can add to the game and maybe a unique layouts, but they're not initially introduced in the rule set. So, but I think they're alluded to. What are your thoughts, Pavin? Yeah. So the short answer is the printed walls take the place of above a lot of the above ground terrain. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, there's not really a mix and match, although you can use any of the dungeon terrain in the above ground games. It just doesn't have any special rules. You specifically call that out. Yep. Exactly. And then Frothy Kratz's next question was, does the Catacombs book indicate where whether the printed pillars on the map pack block line of sight and or movement? And uh, they do. They kind of tie into the walls rules where walls block line of sight. You can't move through them unless you're a night hot and use your special ability. So they, they do say how those uh, the, the columns, the printed pillars um, impact the game, you know, and the doorways to count as obstacles. They can block line of sight. They can provide cover and uh, and sealed doorways act as walls. So they, they do kind of cover all of that in the particular rule set. All right. Any other thoughts, Pavin? I'm all out of thoughts. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Super excited about the rule set here. Um, you know, we got some of the things we were kind of hoping for and some things that we weren't expecting. So I think it's definitely going to be a fun mix of rules to try out with this new war bands. And I'm looking forward to getting a campaign started up. Yeah, me too. Should we wrap up? We should wrap it up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Paven. This was Josh. Yes. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Shoot us an email. I think it's dogsofwarcry at gmail.com. Correct. Twitter is at dogsofwarcry. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> Our Discord is at the, themortalrealms.com slash Discord. That's where I'm hanging. Josh, where are you? What are you? Where, where can I find you? Yep, I, I do lurk on Twitter, but also the Discord is where we'll be sharing a lot of our 
progress on our war bands or any other elements in sharing paint schemes. So please come check us out there. Um, I'll also share it on uh, Twitter and we will try to share some things to the Dog of War Cry Twitter as well to keep you updated on our Circle of Paint Challenge. And we'll see you guys in the A-point. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themotorrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themotorrealms.com forward slash Patreon. More content is available at themotorrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Welcome to Midwest, I'm Ghost Bruce, this is Narrative, this is a podcast you'll never find like. I'll be in the fall, we can't show false dice, we're all going to the stars, and it's gonna go slow to the Dogs of Warcry.